You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Tuesday, December 28th. And I'm very happy to be joined once again by fellow South Stands contributor Chad Plummer from Cleveland. CP, what's the word from the 216? What's going on, Z? Just, you know, like uh, getting out of the office a little bit this afternoon, you know, getting that little time in between New Year's and Christmas. So uh, yeah. you had a great uh, holiday, you and uh, Aaron. Likewise. Likewise, my friend. I hope you did as well. Happy holidays and I guess an early happy new year to you, my friend. Back at you. <laughs> of course, we are here to preview Ohio State's Rose Bowl matchup with Utah. The Buckeyes come into this game, as all Ohio State fans know, 10-2, and two, ranked number sixth in the final college football playoff rankings. The Utes are your Pac-12 champions at 10-3, and three, ranked number 11 in the final college football playoff rankings. The Rose Bowl is a 2 p.m. Pacific kick on ESPN with Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler on the call. The line is Ohio State minus four and a half. Now that's dropped two points since yesterday. We're going to go into why in just a moment. The over-under is 64, and that's dropped also a point and a half since yesterday. This is only the second meeting CP between these two schools, by the way. I I didn't realize that. Wow. The only time these two teams has met uh, back in 1986, and that was a 64 to 6 blowout win for the Buckeyes in the horseshoe. So Uh, That's pretty interesting. These two schools do not cross paths all that often. As of right now, there are no major COVID outbreaks affecting either program. However, we're still four days away from kickoff. So fingers crossed, a lot can happen over these next four days. Before we jumped on CP, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw UCLA just backed out of tonight's holiday bowl because of COVID. Really? Just, yeah. That's sad, man. That sucks for that other team. Uh, it sucks for that other team. I mean, but it just I mean, it sucks for everybody, you know. But totally. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, that also kind of informs, like, should inform our expectations. I mean, I, I guess we'll be holding our breath up until kickoff. You know, yeah, I mean, man. <laughs> God. Now, now, what is a factor in this game at this point? Our NFL opt outs. Uh, those are a major factor for Ohio State after news broke yesterday that star receivers get. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, starting left tackle Nicholas Petit-Ferrer and defensive tackle Haskell Garrett have all opted out of this game for Ohio State to prepare for the NFL draft. I don't know about UCP, but taken individually, I'm not surprised that that any of these guys opted out. I guess I'm a little surprised, though, that at the sheer number, all four of them have opted out because I think Ohio State has been pretty good about getting its draft-eligible players to play in these you know, non-playoff New Year's Six games. I mean, the last time they played in the Rose Bowl, uh, they got all their draft-eligible players to play. The year before when they played in the Cotton Bowl against USC, I think the only opt-out was Denzel Ward. But, you know, that was during the the Urban Meyer era and, you know, lots changed over these last three or four years. What, what was your thought when you saw these guys opt out? Were you surprised to see so many guys opt out for Ohio State? You know what, Z? I, I really, uh, I kind of am. I mean, you know, I thought maybe... I thought for sure Olave would play. I thought so too. Um, you know, I thought Garrett might play as well. Right. You know, just because everything he's gone through and and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But and you know, as we saw in that Michigan game, I mean, <laughs> we were both kind of puzzled about uh, why he wasn't in there. Yeah, quite a bit. So who knows? I don't. You know. Yeah. I hate to see that kind of stuff, man. I, I mean, I, I get it. Um, 
you know, but doesn't that like Lloyd's of London, don't they have those big insurance policies now? And shit That's like that? true. But, you know, it's, it's almost making it like, you know, does this really even matter? You know what I mean? And I yeah. hate to even say that because it does, you know, I mean. Right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a bummer, but you know, I mean, I guess I can see it from a perspective, but you know, as a fan and a, you know, you know, want to watch the game. Like I want to see all of our best players out there, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, it is what it is. I'm with you, man. And I, you know, I guess fans of a certain age too, like you and I, you know, we're, we're a little longer in the tooth and we remember we grew up right. with the Rose Bowl being this really awesome event. And it was, it was a destination. If you're an Ohio state fan, it was the goal to get to the Rose Bowl every single year. Clearly that's changed. Now, I think Ohio State is actually pretty well positioned to to replace, well, certainly Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, because I think they're going to end up moving Thayer Mumford over to left tackle, where he spent most of his career at Ohio State. So I think they can absorb that loss. And we know they've recruited well at, at receiver. We'll get into this in a bit, but they've recruited well at, at receiver. We know they got the talent, at least, to replace Olave and Wilson. The question is whether right. or not uh, those young guys, namely uh, Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr., are, are ready you know, uh, to, to do it because they're still both so young and haven't had a lot of reps, but we'll get into that in a second. Well, why don't we dive into this matchup for the Buckeyes? Now, Utah is a very good football team, as, as you well know, CP. They got off to a bit of a rough start with back-to-back road losses in the non-conference to two pretty good football teams, number 13, BYU, and number 24, San Diego State. The loss to the Aztecs was in triple overtime, and it was after that game that Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham made a switch at QB from Charlie Brewer to Cameron Rising, and that has appeared to have made all the difference. Utah is 9-1 and one since making that switch, and that includes two blowout wins over Oregon, a 38-7 laugher in Salt Lake City on November 20th, and a 38-10 blowout two weeks later in the Pac-12 championship game. Now, as all Ohio State fiends painfully know, you most especially, my friend, because you were at the game, Oregon beat Ohio State in the shoe earlier this season. Uh, so, you know, the fact that uh, Utah ran them off the field twice, I think says a little something. Let's have a look at Utah's defense. I want to start there and then CP, I'm going to go through a few stats and then I want to get your take on what you're going to be watching when Ohio State has the football against this Utah defense. Utah comes into this game 12th nationally in total defense. That's one spot behind Michigan, actually. They're only giving up about 360, 16 yards per game. They're 14th nationally in defensive yards per play, giving up about 4.9 yards per play. They're 23rd nationally in rush defense, giving up about 123 yards per game. And they're 24th nationally in pass defense, giving up 195 yards per game. They're tied for fourth nationally in sacks, so they do a pretty good job of getting after the quarterback. They average just over three sacks a game. And they're eighth nationally in tackles for loss, averaging about seven and a half per game. So this is a really good balanced Utah defense. They do everything pretty well. They you know, defend the run, they defend the pass, and they can get in the backfield after the quarterback and, and for tackles for loss. The only thing Utah doesn't do well, at least statistically, is forced turnovers. They're only 76 nationally in interceptions and 103rd in forced fumbles. Otherwise, though, a very good defense. Now, they're led by Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year linebacker Devin Lloyd. CP, you and I have been complaining, well, me most especially, but I think both of us have been complaining all year long about the lack of elite linebacker play for this Ohio State team. Well, Ohio State fans are going to get treated to what a real linebacker looks like on the other side of the ball with Devin Lloyd from Utah. This dude's a stud. Again, he was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. He was a Butkus finalist. He leads the Utes in tackles with 107. He's second on the team in sacks with eight. 
and quarterback pressures with 30. He leads the Utes with four interceptions. He's the type of player that can really dominate a football game. Two other players I want to mention here, CP, and I'm going to kick it over to you. The Utes also have a very good defensive end, Mike Tafua, who led the Pac-12 in sacks this season, uh, which is inter- interesting because you would have thought it was the kid from, from Oregon, uh, but it was actually Tafua who led the Pac-12 in sacks with nine and a half. He also registered 74 quarterback pressures this year, according to PFF. Just to give you a little context, Aiden Hutchinson had 73 total quarterback pressures this year for Michigan. Tafua actually registered one more than Hutchinson. So this dude can get after the quarterback. Finally, Nephi Sewell, the younger brother of Oregon star linebacker Noah Sewell, is another player to watch for the Utes. He's their second leading tackler and a player that can do some things, I think, for that defense. So CP, I want to kick it to you. What are you going to be looking for when Ohio State has the ball against this stout Utah defense? Well, first and foremost... I'm going to be looking for the offensive line to step it up. Yeah. Um, You know, that's going to be, I mean, the stats you just went through right there, you know, quarterback pressures, those types of things. Um, So that's going to be huge. And now I'm sure you know this Z, but like, am I, did I read this correctly that like their Munford is going to be playing left tackle. There's going to be a couple of guys that are switching, like, you know, going back to their normal positions. Yeah. Is that, is that's that right. True? Yeah, no, I think yeah. that's I think that's the case. It sounds like they're going to move. I think the the speculation is that a lot of the Ohio State beat writers are saying that Mumford will move back to left tackle, where he spent most of his career, as you know. Right. Matthew Jones will then slide in to left guard, where he's played very well for them in spots this year. So it seems like they're going to be okay. I don't know. What do you think? You think Ohio State's offensive line is going to be okay in this game? You know what I. I- I think so. Um, yeah. You know, not having like NPF, like that's going to like, you know, that'll sting a little bit, but right. I mean, you know, you've had guys playing at these positions, you know, all year long. I mean, and yes, it is their natural position right? Um, all throughout their high school career and growing up and whatnot. But I mean, I think it, you know, I, I mean, it can't be, you know, they spent like that's entrenched into their mind and body. And I, I think that's going to be fine. I think they just need to seriously like become a, a play like a unit yeah um no more no more of this bullshit like offsides and these just stupid frustrating oh, yeah. the penalties. false starts like, oh my god oh what my do they god, have like five yes. of them against michigan oh yes at killer least. killer it was so that that is my uh not my biggest like that thing i want to see you know that just sticks out in my mind yeah. obviously you know we got to get uh trey trey getting the ball you know just establish the running game i mean i'm not worried about you know, Stroud with those new receivers. I mean, you know, like the question of chemistry, you know, but, you know, I'm sure the last like, what, three weeks? I mean, that's, you know, I mean, they pretty pro- probably pretty much knew that Wilson and Lottie weren't going to play. Yeah, that's a know? good question. I That's my assumption, too. My assumption is that they got an indication from all four of the kids that opted out three or four weeks ago so that they could get the right. reps for these guys replacing them. That's my assumption. I certainly hope that right. was the case. I mean, yeah, they're they're young, but I mean, you know, you've seen Fleming this year. Like, I mean, you know, obviously all of his injuries that he's had to deal with. I mean, mm-hmm. how he was like, you know, number one recruit. We saw him like there was some flashes in the last couple of games where he made some good plays. He made a couple of stupid plays here and there as well. But you <laughs> yeah, know, returning kicks, I mean, he, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you, you know, <laughs> Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, that kid's ball, you know, he's a stud. I mean, there's like there's 
I'm jigged like you know, Jigba, you said uh you mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Um, I mean he's a baller. Like I hope he's gonna be returning kicks, actually, because like I think he was he was hurt there. Emeka Buka yeah. was the one that was was returning kickoffs for us at and it was yes. it was doing really well and then got hurt. He didn't really play the last two or three weeks. He's been a little dinged up, might have gotten hurt actually returting a kickoff. Right. But it's that name I don't always let that, that name always gets Buka. <laughs> I'm Buka there. I'm just gonna say, yeah, I'm Buka there. <laughs> so I mean we're we we're stacked at receiver. I yeah. mean, we still got Ruckert. I mean, you know, like that that's the least of my worry there. It's okay. just the offensive line, man. And, and you know what? Actually, a concern of mine, I feel like over and it seemed to be coming a trend over the last couple of games of our play calling. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what, you know, I, I don't know. So hopefully they got some some of that stuff worked out. I'm really kind of bummed out about the fact that uh it's gonna be pretty much a, a youth crowd. Which that's not the case usually for Ohio State when and it's mm-hmm. bowl games, especially like the Rose Bowl. We travel well, right? We as well, if not, you know, better than most schools. Um, but that's not going to be the case this Saturday. At the doesn't games. sound like it. That's what I've been reading too. That it could be like <clears throat> like a seventy thirty split in favor of yeah. Utah on the crowd from from what I've been hearing. Right. I, I was yeah. reading today that they like the um you know how they allot the tickets for mm-hmm. x amount of fans for both schools and uh ohio state didn't step up and and i guess uh, the Utes fans just swiped them all up yeah didn't they return so. like seven thousand tickets or something like that i thought i yeah. read that okay yeah all right exactly yeah. as talented as julian fleming and marvin harrison jr are and we know how talented they are i mean julian fleming was the number one receiver in the country in his class in the 2020 class we all know about marvin harrison jr's pedigree you know, Hall of Fame father, uh, you know, played for many years with the Colts. The void left behind by Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave is huge. I mean, we're talking about 1,994 yards receiving and 25 (laughs) touchdown receptions this year. So almost 2,000 yards receiving, 25 touchdown receptions just walked out the door. And Fleming and Harrison, they've, they've, They've combined for only 12 receptions and one touchdown so far this season. They have not played a ton. Are they ready to contribute more? And what's reasonable to expect from both of them? We'll find out. I'm also wondering if there might be a role. You mentioned him earlier for Emeka Igbuka outside of returning kicks. Now, Igbuka is Smith and Jigba's backup in the slot. So, and I can't imagine JSN is going to be coming off the field at all in this no. game. I think he's probably going to play pretty much every offensive yeah. snap would be my guess. But... Maybe when Ohio State goes into a four-receiver look, Agbuka will have a role. Um, right. But I'm also very excited about the prospect of Agbuka getting more snaps because when he did get touches, it was mostly on kick returns. Man, he did some things. Yeah, um, I mean, he did, man. He, like, he, like, I'm excited for that kid's career at Ohio State. He's another. Well, he was the number one receiver in his class. Yeah. So I mean, there is, there is. So yeah, I think Agbuka had at least one long reception this year as a receiver, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, he did. I can't remember what game that was in. Yeah, he had an 85-yard reception against Akron. That was way back on September 25th. But I'm really looking forward to him getting more more snaps. Now, like you, though, and you mentioned him earlier, Travion Henderson, I'm really looking for, hoping for a healthy and rested Travion Henderson because we've talked about it ad nauseum on this pod. Henderson was clearly not himself over the last four or five weeks of the regular season. And really, right. as as we both know, it was Ohio State's inability to run the ball that really killed them against Michigan. And if you look at their two losses this season, both against Oregon and Michigan, you know both of those opponents were very effective at bottling up the Buckeye running game. So, like you know, Ohio State averaged just over four yards per carry in the loss to the Ducks. 
and only 2.1 yards per carry against Michigan. Now that rushing average against Michigan is a little deceiving because it includes CJ Stroud's sack yardage. But if you take that away, Henderson only averaged 4.4 yards a carry and Williams, not Mayan Williams, only 2.9 yards a carry against the Wolverines. So it's imperative Ohio State run the ball well in this game, where I think we could see a similar result to the Oregon and Michigan losses, where, you know, Ohio State is putting up big passing stats, you know, between the 30s, but kind of bogging down in the red zone. They're held to under 30 points. And that's really, I think, the formula for beating this team. Nebraska kind of they they didn't win the game, but they nearly sprung the upset by following a similar blueprint, right? Kind of eliminating the big play in the passing game. Shutting down the run game, they they only Ohio State only averaged about three yards a carry in that game against Nebraska. They allowed right. Stroud to put up his big passing numbers in between the 30s, but they managed to hold the Buckeyes to only 26 points. So Utah will almost assuredly use that same formula. So one other thing I was reading on Buckeye Scoop, and I want to bring this up because actually CP, I think you're going to appreciate this because you've actually been clamoring for this all year long. BYU when they beat. Utah earlier this year, their quarterback, Jaron Hall, ran for 92 yards on eight carries in that win. The following right. week, San Diego State's quarterback, Lucas Johnson, ran for 87 yards on eight carries. So, you know, those numbers would recommend a suspicion that if CJ Stroud is willing, he could have a major impact on this game with his legs. Right. Okay. Now, so the question is, I know you've been, you've been, you know, credit to you, right. CP, because you've been talking a lot about this. Like, look, Stroud's got to at least try and keep defenses honest with his legs here and there. Well, it looks right. like in this matchup, there could be an opportunity for him to do some real damage running the ball. What do you think about that? I, I hope that's the case, man, because obviously those guys, you know, Wilson and Day and, and whomever else are watching film, um, uh-huh. you know, obviously that's got to be something that's like sticking their head. But like, you know, do they worry about like him getting hurt? I mean, I just don't know. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, I, I love Stroud. I do. I'm a, I'm a big fan, but I'm like, also want him just to step up into the pocket. And then, you know, if it's nothing there, just like start running, man. You Duck got, and run. Those, le- those yeah. legs he's got are freaking like stilts. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, Ohio State has got to stay away from second and long. Third yes. and long, please. And if there are opportunities, and you know, we know the Utah, Utah very good defense with an excellent middle linebacker. They're going to be keying on Travion Henderson. It's probably yep. going to be tough going running the ball for Henderson. So you have to do something to get yourself in favorable downs and distances, and you can't do it strictly throwing the football. So I, I, I think in this game in particular, now to you know. I, I've been one of those guys that's saying that, you know, Stroud doesn't really have to run and it's no big deal. But I think in this matchup, he might have to be willing to do that. You know, give me give me six or seven carries just to keep that Utah defense right. honest. I think he's going to have to do it in this game. Yeah, I agree, man. I hope that's the case. Well, before we look at the Utah offense, is there anything else, CP, you want to share uh, in your view about the Utah defense? No, man, like, you know, they're pretty impressive. I mean, you know, yeah. 12th, um, I don't even really want to go. I know we'll touch it when we go, uh, <laughs> when we talk about our defense, but uh, yeah, they're nowhere near that. But, you know, I mean, they're, they, they, they're fast too. I mean, yeah. they, you know, they're disciplined. It's going to be a game, man. We yeah. don't have to play ball. It's a quality Utah team for sure. I mean, yes, they, they figured exactly. some things out at quarterback from earlier in the year when they got off to a bit of a rough start. And this team has been playing about as well as any team in the country since. So yeah. Uh, yeah a Agreed, def- man. Yeah. All right. Well then let's have a look at the Utah offense. I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you, CP. And then like we did with the defense, I want to get your take on 
what you'll be looking for when Utah has the ball against the Ohio State defense. So uh, Utah's offense, look, it's not spectacular, but it's very solid. They come into this game 46 nationally in total offense, averaging 429 yards per game. They're 30th in offensive yards per play at 6.35 yards per play. So that's actually pretty good. 30th, I mean, out of what, 120 some odd FBS teams, 30th is fairly, fair. I don't want to say explosive, but very effective. They're 13th in rushing offense, and that's really the identity of this offense. They come into this game averaging 261 yards per game. They're 87th in passing offense. So, you know, pretty conservative, not very explosive throwing the football, but still pretty effective, 212 yards per game. And uh, they come into this game 69th nationally in scrimmage plays over 20 yards. So again, not super explosive. The Utes are led by sophomore quarterback Cameron Rising. I mentioned him earlier. Rising took the reins after the week three loss to San Diego State. Rising's a sturdy six foot two, 220 pounds. He's completing just under 63% of his passes. He's thrown for 18 touchdowns to only six interceptions. He's only been sacked five times this season, so his offensive line does a pretty good job of protecting him. And Rising has also been a very effective runner this season, 407 yards on the ground on 63 carries. That's good for six and a half yards per carry. And he has five rushing TDs this season. You know, Rising reminds me a little bit of JT Barrett, actually. Uh, both in build yeah, and, and kind of his skill set. I like that comparison. Yeah. But hey, look, the identity, again, I mentioned it earlier, the, the identity of this Utah offense is its running game led by bell cow Tavion Thomas. He's a, a Cincinnati transfer, uh, believe it or not, CP. I didn't realize that until really? I started looking at this matchup. Yeah. Thomas leads Utah with 1,041 yards rushing on a 5.6 yards per carry average and 20 touchdowns. He's a bruiser, man, six foot two, two twenty one, very similar in stature to Michigan's Hassan Haskins. I think uh, a little taller than Haskins, but they they weigh about the same, and they're both very sturdy backs. Thomas is Utah's highest graded offensive player according to PFF, with a grade of ninety point one. So PFF really likes him as a player. Now Utah also has a nice change of pace back in TJ Pledger, who's a little quicker. A little more explosive than Thomas, not quite as big. I think he's only about 5'9". Pledger has 671 yards rushing and is averaging about seven yards per carry, just under seven yards per carry. So pretty explosive and a nice change of pace back for Utah. The the duo of Thomas and Pledger, not unlike the duo of Hassan Haskins and Blake Corm at Michigan. And I think they're certainly going to present some of the same challenges for the Ohio State front seven. Finally, Utah loves to play with three tight ends, and they they are un, they they are unapologetic about it, man. They love their tight ends, and they have two really good ones: Brent Keithy and Dalton Kincaid. Keithy is Utah's leading receiver, if you can believe it, five hundred thirty-four yards receiving this year. Kincaid leads Utah in touchdown receptions with seven, and Keithy is second on the team with six touchdown receptions. After those two, Utah does not have a receiver with more than two touchdown receptions this year. So it really is like they are their primary weapons in the passing game, Keithy and Kincaid. Utah likes to run the ball out of 13 personnel and throw to its tight ends. So it's going to be a huge challenge for the Ohio State linebacking core. And let's face it, it has been a rough season for that group. So CP, I want to kick this over to you. What are you going to be looking for when Utah has the ball against the Ohio State defense? Well, you know what? Honestly, Z, this like, I mean, let's just not give up any big plays, man. I yeah. mean, it sounds to me like, you know, obviously most of their points are coming through grinding it through the, you know, mm-hmm. on the 
on the ground. Um, you know, let's not give anybody those big runs. I mean, come yeah. on. We've seen it all the way back from the Minnesota game. Yep. You know, let's just, you know, I hope that they, they did some things over this, you know, bowl practice, this three to four weeks that uh, is going to like, you know, help alleviate those big plays because those are just killer. Like, I'd like to see some more, like, you know, blitzing or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. putting more pressure on the quarterback. I'd like to see, you know, get some, like, some more defensive ends, like, you know, Sawyer and JTT. And, like, I'd like to see Zach Harris step up and have a game. I would, too. I, I think these defensive ends are going to have to be effective against the run. They can't just be pass rushers. They're going to have to play a complete game. My concern is really for the interior of the Ohio State defensive line and at linebacker. I mean, we were pushed right. around so badly against Michigan, also exactly. against uh, Oregon, as as you will remember having been there. And no Haskell Garrett in this game, I think, is a huge loss that puts Ohio yeah. State at a pretty clear disadvantage. Yeah. Now, and senior, especially with a team that grinds the ball. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Now, senior Antoine Jackson is likely the next man up, but I just read today at practice, he was not at Ohio State's Rose Bowl practice today. So I don't know what that means. I certainly hope he's not a, a COVID absence or, or you know, an injury of yeah, some kind. Right. But he would be, he would appear to be the next man at the three technique. Jackson's been solid. Right in 310 snaps during the regular season, PFF gave Jackson a grade of 65.5. Not bad. He has two sacks right. to his credit, but you know clearly he represents a pretty steep drop off from Haskell Garrett. Hey man, if I'm Larry Johnson, I would see what Tyleek Williams can give you. I mean, granted, that's Williams. Funny you said that because I right? that was the next thing that was going to come out of my mouth. That's that's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the Pro Football Focus grades here, and granted, it's a small sample size, but Williams you know, has played very well this year when he's gotten his opportunities. 166 snaps played this year. And at the moment, Williams is Ohio State's second highest graded defensive player behind Zach Harrison with a grade of 79.7. And he leads the team in sacks with six. So I think you've got to give this kid more snaps in this game and see what he can do. I mean, I think we're looking overall at a youth movement in this game, and this game is going to be used as a springboard into the 2022 season. So why, hey, why not see what Tyleek Williams can give you? You got nothing to lose, I don't think. Nothing to lose. Nothing, right? That's 100%. I mean, like, you know what? If something's not working in there, let let get somebody else in there. Let's like, you know, I agree with you. This is a stepping stone into 2022. Right. Um, you know, I know um, our new defensive coordinator doesn't start taking over the reins until January 2nd, but right. you know, let's get some, you know, if, if somebody's not producing, let's, let's see what somebody else has got. I agree. I, mean, let's, uh, I agree. Let's throw it all out on the line and, you know, let's see what sticks. And I agree with you. I mean, you know, Antoine Jackson came to Columbus as part of the 2018 class. He was a JUCO transfer. I think he started his career at Auburn, went through, went the JUCO route from there and ended up at Ohio state as a JUCO transfer. Another guy, Teron Vincent from the 2018 class. I don't know about you, man. I'm just kind of ready for the 2018 class to kind of move on. Freshman Mike Hall is another player that I think, uh, why not? Uh, He might be able to give them something at the three techniques. So let's see what he can do as well. Um, And then, of course, the linebackers. I mean, they're going to have to probably play their best game of the season. Now, I read also today that Cody Simon was not at practice. I know that he's been dealing with some injuries. He's been up and down for Ohio State all year long. I don't know that he'd be a huge loss if he can't play. But we know it's going to be Steel Chambers, probably a heavy dose of Tommy Eichenberg uh, at linebacker. I know not, especially Eichenberg, that duo doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. 
the they're just going to have to play better and Ohio State is going to have to figure out the coaching staff's going to have to figure out ways to put them in situations where they can be more successful against this Utah running game it's not going to be easy and we're also talking by the way we're talking about kind of a lame duck defensive coaching staff right with Jim Knowles waiting in the wings we know at least one of those guys is not going to be back this year I think it's going to be more than one defensive coach who's going to be looking for a new job you know after January 1st so yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't know about UCP. I mean, I'm I'm looking for ways to be optimistic about this matchup, but this is definitely one that really concerns me. The power running game of Utah, and then those timely passes down the seam to their tight ends are both very good. Okay, I want to get your concernometer score, Chad. Give me your score and tell me why you feel that way. Well, you know how I am. Like I, I'm, I'm usually like the lowest on the concernometer that uh, <laughs> out of all of us, but. You know, I, I'm going to say it's at a, a seven and a half. Seven and a half for you. Okay. I'm with you. Uh, my score is up there as well. Eight and a half. And, and the reason I arrive at that score, I mean, the identity of the Ohio State offense, as we've already talked about, Wilson and Olave, along with almost 2,000 receiving yards, 25 touchdown catches are gone. Their best defensive player, Haskell Garrett, who plays a position of major need in this matchup, is also gone. In my mind, Ohio State is now the underdog in this game. I know Vegas doesn't quite see it that way, but in my mind, it feels like they're an underdog in this game. Utah yeah. is legitimately good. They're highly motivated. I mean, they are absolutely stoked to be in this game. As you mentioned, CP, their fans are going to show out for this one. This is really a huge moment for the Utah program. At the same time, I feel like this game now has way more meaning for Ohio State than it did 24 hours ago because this team now belongs to a group of talented first and second year players who have their first opportunity to do something special for this program. This team now belongs to CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Paris Johnson Jr., Luke Whipler, Travion Henderson, Julian Fleming, Emeka Ibuka, Ronnie Hickman, JT Tuamaloao, Jack Sawyer on down the line, Denzel Burke. These kids are no longer complementary pieces. They are now the backbone of this program. And this is their first opportunity to lead Ohio State to something big and set the tone for a playoff run in 2022. So I guess for me, it's equal parts dread and excitement if those two feelings can kind of exist at the same time. Um, I, I, I'm intrigued by this game in a way that I wasn't 24 hours ago because of all those opt-outs. All right, let's get down to brass tacks, score predictions. Chad, you got a score prediction for me, my friend? Yes, I do, buddy. All right. Um, I am going to go with Ohio State, even though my concern meter is at a, you know, like I said, seven and a half. Uh huh. But I'm going Ohio State 45, Utah 31. Wow. Okay. 45 31. You, like, you, you must like CJ Stroud in that passing game to go off. What, what do you think? I, I really do. I okay. think a lot of people are. I think one of the reasons the line has moved, and I'm not quite sure because I really haven't followed that much, but I think it's it's moved downward. Um, That's right. You know, in the four and a half. They're Utah's because of, uh, you know, Lave and Wilson. Um, and, you know, but I honestly think that uh, the offense is going to go off. Now is the defense just, <laughs> can we find a way to make a couple <laughs> of stops and not give up big plays? But right. that's what I'm going to roll with the 45-31. Buckeyes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, this was not a great matchup for Ohio State. I don't think before Wilson, Olave, Garrett, and NPF all opted out. As I mentioned at the top, we're still f four days away from kickoff, and COVID could still have an impact on this game. 
And we know that with the hiring of Jim Knowles, there's at least one coach from the defensive staff who will not be back. And I suspect it's probably going to be more than that. I also suspect right. the, the coaches who won't be back have already been told or strongly suspect that they won't be back. So you have to wonder where their heads are and will it affect the preparation for this game. Now, Ohio State still holds a major talent advantage in this game, despite those opt-outs, but they now have to rely on youth and inexperience at some key positions, namely at the X and Y receiver positions with Fleming and Harrison Jr. and at defensive tackle with a, a young player, perhaps at like Tyleek Williams and maybe even Mike Hall. The realist in me says this is a Utah win and they could even win pretty convincingly. However, I'm going to listen to the optimist in me who thinks Ohio State is going to play with great pride. I think these first and second year players who are now the backbone of this program will seize the opportunity to make their first big mark with the program. And Springwood, in my mind, is going to be a 40 to 34 upset of the Utes. Don't be surprised if these NFL opt-outs serve as motivation, as kind of a rallying cry for this team. So I'm going to be optimistic like here, it. CP, like you. And I think Ohio All State right. just finds a way uh, to, to win this All game. Right. <laughs> I hope that's the case, Z. I hope that's the case, brother. All right. And, and you know, this is an Ohio State Homer podcast. We can't. It's, yeah, it's, right. not, it's in our DNA. We can't pick against the Buckeyes, right? <laughs> no, no, I, that, I mean, no, yeah, I, I don't think that I've ever done that. I don't think you have either. Regardless yeah. if I thought we were going to get beat by like <laughs> 60 points. I, I love it. Man. I can't do that. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, hey, man, there's two other big games happening this Friday, the playoff semifinal games. I want to get your view of these as well, CP, real quick. We've got number four Cincinnati against number one Alabama in the first semifinal that's played in the Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas. That game's a 3.30 p.m. Eastern kick on ESPN. Uh, the line is Bama minus 13 and a half. The over-under is 58. Chad, who wins this game and why? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. I don't know. Well, you know, obviously, and, and we're, we're talking Alabama, correct? That's right. Yes, we're talking Alabama. You know, I, I, I mean, what's the line? You said 13 and a half? Right? 13 and a half, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that, that Cincinnati can beat them, but I would like to see them at least stay competitive. Uh -huh. um, obviously, I'm going to go with Alabama. I'm going to say the uh, I'm going to say that the Bearcats are going to cover the spread. I'm okay. going to say, yeah, I'm going to say Alabama, forty-one. I'm going to go with your uh, almost the same score you picked for the Buckeyes. I'm going to go uh, Alabama forty-one, uh, Bearcats thirty. Okay, the spread. I like Bama in this game, and and I like them to cover. I I think you know since he's had a nice season, you know me CP. I've been pretty critical yeah, of Cincy, oh, and uh, yeah, I won't go down that. I won't start that diatribe. Uh, you know, <laughs> hey, they made it. Good for them. They're here. Uh, Bama's got the best player in this game. Bryce Young, too much, too much um, triple distilled smooth. Jamison Williams, I think he's going to have a big a big day for Bama in this one, uh, and and I like them to cover. All right, second semifinal. Number three, Georgia against number two, Michigan. This game's played in the Orange Bowl in Miami. It's a 7.30 p.m. Eastern kick on ESPN. The line is UGA minus seven and a half. The over-under is 40 and a half. Chad, who do you like in this game? As much as it pains me to say this, I do like Michigan. You like Michigan? Okay. I think they're going to beat Georgia. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm not too, uh, I'm not too, uh, you know. Georgia's offense doesn't impress me, to be yeah, honest man. with you. 
Um, and against that Alabama, you know, against Alabama, they're they stunk. Their defense didn't impress me that much either for no. being, you know, everybody's, you know, jerking them off all season. How <laughs> just amazing they were. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, but yeah, I like Michigan, man. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tight game, but I do like Michigan. All right. On top. I'll okay. say 30, 31, 27. I tell you, man, I don't disagree with much of what you're saying. And and I was tempted to pick Michigan. In fact, well, I'm going to be rooting hard for UGA. I just don't know if I trust Kirby Smart. And I certainly yes. don't and I certainly don't trust Stetson Bennett, their quarterback. I mean, he no, he was terrible against Alabama. I think I agree with you, man. I think Michigan has more than a puncher's chance in this game. I'm picking Georgia, but only by a hair. They win, but they don't cover. I would not be surprised if Michigan wins. One thing that really stood out to me, so surprised me about Michigan when they played against Ohio State was they have more big play capability, Michigan does, than I had realized. And I had actually given them credit for going into that Ohio State game. So uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. They got more than a puncher's chance. I'm just, I'm going to pick Georgia, but only by a hair. Okay. All right, my friend. Lastly, before I let you go, some big news shortly after our last podcast with, with PVH, where we were all clamoring in that podcast for Ohio State to make for Ryan Day to make changes to his defensive coaching staff. He turned right around shortly after that and hired Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. Knowles uh, getting paid almost two million a year to revamp the defense. Chad, what were your thoughts on that hire? Did you like it? I, you know, I really do. I like, I, I wasn't really familiar with him. Um, yeah, me neither. Know. And then, then when I, you know, once they made the announcement, I started doing, you know, my little bit of research on him, doing some reading and sounds to me like he's a character, man. I like yeah, it. Totally. I think that's what we need in there. Somebody who's not going to put up, they said he doesn't put up with any bullshit. Right. Um, yeah. And he's like in your face kind of guy, like, you know, so I, I like that. And I feel like that's something that we've been missing. I agree. Um, since, you know, ever since Hayfley left for Boston College, I mean, I'm not quite sure if he was a big in your face guy, but, you know, I think he was really intent. Like, you know, he was players really respected him. Mm-hmm. He got down, you got the best out of every player. And I, and I think that's what we need because we haven't seen that lately. Obviously, player development has been a, uh, as far as like, you know, outside of like, you know, our linebackers and, and, and that obviously we've, which we've talked about a lot today, but, you know, that, those guys have got to be coached up, man. And we, they've got to, and I think this guy is is somebody who does that. I, I One of the best things I've read about him is like, so I guess on Mondays, Sundays or Mondays, one, he goes into his office, lights up his cigars and just turns down the blinds. He doesn't talk to any of the coaches. He doesn't talk to any players. <laughs> and he just watches too. film like a madman for I like love 24 it. hours. I, I think it's awesome. I love that, man. Yeah, he's like a mad scientist in there. I, I'm I'm with you, man. Well, you had mentioned, you know, you had kind of thrown out Brent Venables as kind of like, you know. Yeah, as a, as a pipe dream. As a pipe dream. But honestly, I mean, I think Jim Knowles is the next best thing because – I do too. I've been clamoring for a bona fide defensive coordinator, a guy with credentials. And Knowles right. is exactly that, right? He's a schemer. Uh, he's going to, as you said, as you, that's anecdote you just shared, right? He, he'll lock himself uh, in his office for two days and come out with a game plan, you know, uh, and, and I love that. Right. Um, and I like you just, you just said it right there. A true defensive coordinator. Yeah. A guy with, we have not had that. Like, I mean, it's just been, oh, it's just like, it's a free for all. And it's like, you know, I did read something interesting today though. Like, did you know that they, uh, they offered Freeman? They did. I did. 
Yeah, when he yeah. when well, I guess when the the job was still up in the air, Brian Day offered yeah. Marcus Freeman, and that's probably like an obligatory thing he needed to do, right? I mean, he's just right over there yes. at Notre Dame. He's a former Ohio State player, former Ohio State linebacker, uh, and why not kick the tires on that, right? He he would have been a great addition, but you know, obviously, uh, uh, bigger things waiting. Marcus yeah. Freeman now is the head coach at Notre Dame. I like I like the higher a lot. Steve. I'm with you, man. I like it a lot. You know, he his defense at Oklahoma State this year. I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you, and this this should actually be music to your ears and to the ears of all Ohio State fans. Number three nationally in total defense. Number four nationally in defensive yards per play. Fifth nationally against the run. Seventh nationally in scoring defense. Thirteenth nationally in passing yards allowed. I mean, that's that's the one stat that's just been dogging Ohio State fans, right? Where our passing yards allowed, we've been averaging in the eighties, nineties, and hundreds over the last couple of years in that category. Number one nationally in sacks. The Oklahoma State defense averaged almost f- over four sacks per game this season. Sorry. Number one nationally in tackles for loss, averaging almost nine per game. Second nationally in opponent third down conversion percentage. And fifth nationally in allowing scrimmage plays of 10 yards or more. I mean, pretty much every defensive stat that matters, Knowles' defense was in the top five. And the thing was, man, he was doing that with three-star talent at Oklahoma State. What's he going to do with four- and five-star talent that he'll inherit in Columbus? Love it. Love it, man. Love it. Yeah, man. I'm excited. I'm excited too. All right, buddy. Well, hey, listen, man, that was a great effort. Thanks so much for making the time, CP. Let's plan to reconvene after the Rose Bowl to recap that game and and recap the 2021 season. Okay, my that friend? That sounds good. Let's uh, give a shout out to our boy, PVH. Hope the, uh, hope the boy gets better. Yeah, feel better. Get well soon, my friend, uh, Mr. Right, PVH. Good to be on, dude. Okay, buddy. Happy New Year to you. We'll Happy speak New soon. Happy New Year to you, man. been listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com